Here at the Product and Packaging Powerhouse, our key mission is really to help with unveiling the realities of product developments, packaging strategies, and business tactics, empowering you, productpreneurs, and brands to advance, ascend, and accelerate your products into your marketplace. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode here on the Product Packaging Powerhouse Show. I am your host, Megan Young-Gamble, and y'all already know my introduction and everything that I love in one of my favorite beauty products, which is lip gloss, baby. And for today's segment, I have the privilege of having today's industry powerhouse guest, Ms. Tara Payton, who is a marketing director, executive, and she's helping corporations understand effective marketing strategies. And guys, when I say you are in for a treat, I mean, just that you are in for a treat. So as you know, make sure you go ahead, like, subscribe to our channels and make sure you do share this podcast with somebody in your network, at least five people, because it's going to be on point timely, especially with us getting into holiday season and your upcoming product lunch strategies. So today, Ms. Tara, thank you for being our powerhouse guest here on the show. Thank you for having me, Megan. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> Yes. And guys, if you did not know, I actually did a podcast interview with Tara. That was our first time actually meeting face to face with mm-hmm. the Triple M's podcast. So, you know, Tara, I would love for you just to talk a little bit about your about yourself, how you got started with your own podcast and then what you're doing now with your company. Absolutely. So thank you for having me. Um, ooh, where do I start? So I'm a marketing strategist. I have a research and marketing strategy research firm. Um, As Megan mentioned, I work with corporations primarily in the beauty, personal care um, space. And so what we do with those companies is we help them identify growth opportunities. We optimize marketing performance and ensure that they are doing this all from the standpoint of digging into their customer insights. So really having a rich understanding of who your customers are what makes them tick, what they like, what they don't like, so that you can improve your messaging to them and reach them and ultimately impact your ROI in a positive way. So we serve clients in many different ways. We serve as fractional CMOs for some clients, advisory roles, uh, putting together direct strategies. You know, we kind of run the gamut, but essentially it's all about developing a holistic strategy that's going to help you maximize your investment. Mm, I love that. And thank you for that introduction. And guys, if you ever thought about marketing as fluff, it is not fluff. It is real strategies that are in place back behind the products and the information that's printed on the packaging. So Tara, I would love to hear when you say talking about holistic strategies from a marketing perspective, like what does that mean and how can companies start to be intentional about their holistic marketing strategies? Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Megan. So when I think about holistic marketing strategies, it's thinking about having the end in mind, right? I think a lot of folks, I won't say a lot, but I will say some folks, some founders, some companies may start with the intention just to sell products without thinking about where they see themselves in three to five years, or even if they want to have an exit strategy, right? So depending on where you want to go, you are going to build your strategy for your company and for your marketing to fit whatever that end goal is. That's the most important thing. And then it's kind Mm -hmm. of like backtracking your way of how you're going to get there and putting that strategy in place so that you're not just marketing to market. You're not just doing things to do things. They're always aligned with whatever your end goal is 
whether that's to sell for $300 million, whether that's to keep the business in your family long-term and pass it down, that is really what you want to have top of mind to develop that strategy to ensure that what you're doing is going to be fruitful for whatever that end goal is. Mm. And that's one of the seven habits of highly effective people is thinking of with the end goal in mind. Hmm. And even when I work with, you know, different companies, if they're indie startup or corporations, one thing that is similar for all scale of businesses is really thinking with the end goal in mind to mm -hmm. really be intentional about what is that three to five year plan? What are we doing now to be set up for success? And then how are we evolving with the company and the messaging and the branding and the marketing efforts? So guys, you hear from Tara and we're saying the same thing. And I tell this on some of my other shows too, that we all could be different stakeholders in reference of creating products, but we're all saying consistent messaging. So whether it's marketing, branding, packaging, like myself, project management, we are all saying the same thing. It's very consistent, very consistent across all of our different roles. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. And so thinking with the end goal in mind and how corporations and companies really need to style the products that they're creating in their retail strategy and their marketing strategy that complements that. In this competitive market, what can businesses do to ensure that their marketing efforts not only attract customers, but also translate into sustainable revenue? That's a good question. So, you know, customer acquisition is always going to be important, right? You want to make sure that you're always looking to acquire new customers. But what mm -hmm. some folks, um, they fall into the habit of neglecting their existing customer base, right? Because they put all their eggs in one basket, for lack of a better term. So as you're acquiring those customers, as you have new customers coming in, you want to think about how do I make them a, a repeat customer and how do I then make them a loyal customer? Just because someone purchases one time, two times does not mean that they're loyal. Three times doesn't mean that they're loyal. You want to make sure that they are actually becoming a loyal customer, purchasing with you over time, that you're actually able to improve your customer lifetime value with them, right? So how much they're spending over that period of time and how valuable they are to you. So some of the ways that um, you can do that, and this is very simple, and I think a lot of, I won't say I think, but I know a lot of the things that I say, you'll be like, oh, that's very simple. But a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of brands don't think in this way. And I, and I don't know why it is, or maybe I do know why it is. And I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit right now, Megan, but it's because of the world okay. that we live in, right? Social media has blown up. Everyone thinks that that's the end all be all for your strategy and how you attract customers and how you retain them. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So there are other channels, more traditional channels that existed before social media that I think folks are neglecting um, and other tactics as well that folks are neglecting. So to get back to answer the question, it's about setting up a loyalty program, right? How are you getting customers to become loyal? They're not just going to become loyal because you're emailing them or you're, you're marketing to them on social media. Then you go to your email. How are you leveraging your email strategy to actually usher those customers throughout the customer journey? So you may have something on your website that asks someone for their email address. That doesn't mean they're a customer. You still have to put work in and do certain things in order to get them to become a repeat purchaser, to then become a loyal customer. So it's a buildup of a few different things that you can implement. And it's all about building a relationship. And the only way that you can build a relationship with your customers 
is to know who they are, right? Know and understand who they are. There are many opportunities and ways for you to do that as far as, you know, putting polls and quizzes on your website or even integrating that into your email marketing strategy or your SMS strategy, right? It's not always about selling. It's really about uncovering insights on who your customers are so that when you are marketing and selling to them, it is it feels like you're only talking to that one person. I love that. And, uh, you know, we've always heard, you know, people say that when you're very general in your messaging and your marketing efforts, you're really talking to no one. Mm -hmm. But if you say, okay, I'm talking to Tara who has the blue shirt, whose hair is kinky, coily, that may have a type 4A, B, or C, and I'm creating this product specifically for her, you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm raising my hand. So to that point, having a very clear, concise messaging and knowing specifically who your audience is, is going to help with crafting that loyalty program and really getting engaged with them, with the polls, the quizzes, SMS, mm -hmm. um, text messaging program and other efforts. But one thing I want to go back to is you talked about these other channels because SMS texting is good. Polls and quizzes, you know, on social platforms and your email newsletters are good. But what are some of those other areas of opportunity and those other channels that corporations and companies really should be tapping into as they're starting to really know their customer and having an effective marketing plan in place for them? So my go-to, especially if you're an established brand, and even if you're not an established brand, is a survey. You want to survey, you want to do market research, you want to really understand, get in depth with those customers. It may even be a focus group, right? So when you think about it from a market research standpoint, there are many ways that you can get in front of your customers. And if you're, and even if you're looking to get into a, a new group of customers, right? You're looking to target a new segment of customers that you've never segmented before. You want to do some market research on them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a survey. Again, it could be um, focus groups where you're actually talking to the customers face-to-face. -face. And then I would also say, even outside of market research, there's a lot of experiential marketing that takes place offline, that was taking place before online became online, that I see a few hmm. folks kind of coming into that space. I won't say falling back into it because they didn't do it before, but they are now thinking about it as a part of what their strategy is and how they can interact with customers. So that could be a pop-up. That could be going into the retail stores that you are currently sold in and having a, you know, a day where your brand is being promoted in there, talking to the sales associates, things like that. So that's how you learn who your customers are. You, you learn who people are by talking to them and building relationships, right? Megan and I, we know each other because I reached out to her. We had a conversation. She came to my podcast interview. We built our relationship in that way, right? So it's the same way, you know, you don't want to overcomplicate it. It's the same way and what you do it for a corporation, you may just be able to do it on a larger scale and you may be able to do it at mass, but you want to be able to position yourself in front of customers to have those conversations. I love that. And it really comes down to really building that relationship like you talked about. Even mm -hmm. like our first interaction, 
It was, hey, I would just love to learn more about your services, what you do, your capabilities, to see where there's, you know, where it's mutually beneficial. And we did a podcast interview on your podcast, Triple M um, podcast, Marketing, Money, and Mindset. Yes. And we had a really good, um, great conversation there. And we've just continued to continue our relationship over time. So it's the same process that is in place from a consumer perspective, really Uh be intentional about creating that relationship because then you're able to host the pop-up shops. Like look at Skims when they had their pop-up in New York, fabulous marketing efforts. The pop-up was phenomenal in the middle of downtown New York and blew it out the water. And even when you think about Sephora, where they have their live events, something that's so simple, where, like you mentioned, having your products is already featured in these retail stores and doing live events. I just went to one for Charlotte Tilbury, Mm -hmm. you know, at Sephora, just to see what new products were coming out, look at the packaging, of course, you know, but to your point, being intentional about creating that relationship and different strategies to really, you know, get in front of your new customers or continue to build up that customer, that loyal customer base. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really profound. And so since we're talking about customer insights, I want to talk a little bit and get your perspective of what insights are you seeing from a consumer standpoint with transition from e-commerce back into retail? So this is an interesting space and I get really excited about it because I'm a geek about the data. So um, I'm going to try to remember some statistics here for you, but I actually just did a presentation recently on the current state of the beauty industry, how the economy is impacting it, the omni-channel presence and customer behavior. We're in a very interesting time. I'll say that. We were in the pandemic, you know, recently, and a lot of brands launched and flourished throughout that time because a lot of folks were buying online, right? If there was a lockdown, you couldn't go into stores. And so we saw kind of this shift in spin. So 55%, there was 55% growth in e-commerce sales, direct to consumer sales, but retail um, and like grocery stores, they actually saw, I want to say around a 43% decline in sales, right? So there was a almost direct correlation to that sales shift during the pandemic. Now, what's interesting, if you bring it to current state today, for the first time, I think ever, or at least in, in the past 10 years um, or more, retail, the retail growth rate is growing faster than the e-commerce growth rate. And so if you think about what that means, all of those brands that had amazing success during the pandemic, they're starting to see their sales declining from a direct-to-consumer standpoint for the first time ever. And when you bring it to the beauty landscape, I want to say in 2021 was the first time that direct-to-consumer sales for beauty actually saw a decline, right? And now it's actually trending flat. It's still growing. It's it's trending flat. It's set to grow. The overall industry is growing, but from a direct-to-consumer standpoint, it's declining. And when you think about how purchases of beauty products were made before the pandemic, 85% of beauty products were purchased in store before the pandemic. So again, that shift to online sales um, took place. And now there's about 38%, I want to say 36 to 38% of customers that are shifting back in store to make purchases. So that is where that kind of shift in the e-commerce growth rate is actually now lower than um, the retail growth rate. So retailers are doing amazing right now. And they're doing amazing. There's actually an article 
I don't remember the, the name of the title, but it has something to do with like beauty brands are now the darling of retail because retailers are re recognizing that their growth is going to come from getting these beauty customers to come into stores. So even if you think about um, Target and their partnership with Ulta, Kohl's and their partnership with Sephora, these are not just done by happenstance, right? These are done by data. They know that beauty consumers are very active. They're going to come into the store. They're going to want to feel the products, right? That's a big major thing for me. When I go into Sephora, I'm like, oh, let me test the products out. I want to speak to someone that's an expert to ask them specific questions about my, my skincare concerns or hair care or whatever it is and pick out my products in that way. So consumers are shifting back into that model. Retailers are recognizing it and they're growing because of it. Beauty, beauty spenders are coming in. They're spending not only in the beauty category, but then they're putting more into their basket by going into the other categories that are offered into these retailers. So if you think about it as a beauty brand, you have a very unique perspective and a very unique way to position yourself right? Because these retailers are going to want to understand what's in it for me. Are you bringing new customers into our store? Are you bringing something exciting, new and innovative into our store that you can only get here, right? That's just some of what's happening in the industry right now today. Um, and I think it's important for corporations to understand, especially in the space, in the CPG space, that there is actually a shift taking place. Back to my earlier point, you want to make sure you have a holistic strategy. It's not just all your eggs in one basket. That's why this is so important to understand what's happening in the economy, what's happening in your industry, and also thinking about it more long term so that you can kind of plan ahead of some of these shifts. Mm. Girl, that's a whole class in itself right there, <laughs> what you just mentioned on, in reference of your perspective and the data of the current state of beauty mm -hmm. and how 85% of beauty consumers actually went into retail to purchase their products mm -hmm. before the pandemic. You know, we're now seeing that increase start to go back up. And so my question for you would be, considering we're now seeing the increase of consumers going back into retail, e-commerce is starting to decrease. What can companies really start doing to make sure that their marketing is on point as soon as that consumer gets into the retail store? They see the marketing strips, they see the gondolas, they see the end caps. What can corporations do to make sure that their marketing strategies are on point mm -hmm. to make sure that they're keeping those customers in their pipeline? So are you asking from the standpoint of a brand who has direct-to-consumer that's in retail, how are they driving into retail specifically and keeping that omni-channel presence with their direct-to-consumer sales or just speaking specifically about retail? So let's actually take it from the first part, from the brand okay. with the direct-to-consumer in the retail space. Okay. So it's going to be important. I will say that you want to think about entering into retail as a growth opportunity, right? And ensuring that it's not going to cannibalize your existing sales that you have in your direct-to-consumer business, right? Because that is ultimately going to give you the highest ROI. You're going to get better margins, right? But when you think about it from the perspective of I want to get in a retail or I'm in retail to offer my customers options, right? That's what Omnichannel is about, options. 
um, and being having a presence everywhere so that your customers, no matter where they are, they're never out of stock of their favorite sunscreen or they're never out of stock or they don't have to worry about um, ordering online and, you know, waiting for shipping for two days to get their favorite lip gloss. They can pop into Target, CVS, wherever and pick it up. When you think about it from that perspective, you're going to have customers that are going to shop in many different places. That's just what life is. There's no no one, I would say, almost no one that just shops exclusively in one place and one channel, right? That's why omni-channel presence is a thing. So when it comes to retail and actually um, the strategies for how to be innovative in retail, you want to work. I know there's a lot of different layers and I'm, I'm trying not to get like into it, but if you have a broker, depending on the retailer that you're working with, you want to make sure that your product stands out. I will say that's the first thing. Because if you go look into the aisles now, there's a lot of products that look similar. They have similar color schemes, similar mm -hmm. fonts, things like that. So the first thing, get with Megan, get your packaging together, make sure you're ready for retail from that standpoint. Make sure that it pops and that it's different, but that's not enough, right? So whatever you're putting on that packaging, the words, the messages, um, people are looking at ingredients now and they want to, um, they they are looking for brands that are very transparent in their, their ingredients. They're looking for education about those things, right? So think about what is on your packaging and how is that messaging to the customer? And if you have an opportunity to put together um, a shelf display that gives more insights or more information or education or whatever it is that your brand provides, you would put that onto the display, right? And that also helps your brand kind of stand out. One of the places I love to go um, just to look at uh, some of the things that are happening on shelf, of course, Target, but Ulta. The brands in there are doing a really good job at how they stand out in developing that retail strategy. There's not too many brands that look alike in there. So it, it it's easy for you to say, oh, this looks innovative. This looks cool. Um, and for you to pull something and pick it up and find yourself just reading and learning about products. So packaging is important. And then I would also say there's a few platforms that, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to become aware of that you can leverage to actually drive folks into your, the retailer where your products are being sold and get them to um, do some of the market research for you, right? So they can go into the store, they can take pictures, they can say, hey, this product is actually out of stock in this retailer, you have an issue here. And you can also drive them and incentivize them to make purchases in the store, right? Not one time, not two times, but building them along that loyalty journey so that you're driving not only your existing customers in the store, but new customers in the store to actually purchase your products into those retailers. So kind of helps you with ensuring that your retail partnerships are growth opportunities again, and that they're not taking away from your existing business. Mm. Guys, y'all heard that from Ms. Tara Payton herself, okay? She is a marketing executive for a reason. So guys, if you did not hear the whole class, the mini class she just gave you all, let me just say this. If you are not making sure that your products stand out through the packaging, your copy and your marketing is not on point, you need to hire copywriting, your ingredients, guys, you need a regulatory specialist because they're going to make sure your inkies, your ingredients are compliant for retail mm -hmm. because sometimes what you cooking up in the kitchen or in a, you know, with a contract manufacturer that needs to make sure it's compliant for the different markets and retailers that you're trying to go into Nordstrom mm -hmm. and Target, 
two big retailers, but different requirements, different blacklists from an ingredient standpoint. And how you market those things with your key benefits and select ingredients all makes a difference. So guys, Tara just gave y'all a mini masterclass right here on the product and packaging powerhouse. And one thing that you mentioned that I want to go back to is having your product stand out, right? So just generally speaking with corporations and companies alike, what are other things that people can do to make sure that their products stand out besides just pretty colors and the aesthetics of the packaging? What other things can they do to stand out? Yeah, one of the things that I think is important, especially if your products are in retail, is to build some level of partnership with the store associates, right? Regardless the store it is, whether that's a training, virtual training, right? We have the, the ability now to be able to reach a lot of people virtually. But I think it also still goes a long way if you're able to just go into a store and talk to associates and say, hey, this is my brand. Like, how is it going? What are some things that you like about it? Have you seen, have you had questions from people, right? And talking to the sales associates, because they're the ones that are going to sell you on a product. I'll tell you a story. I don't know if I should say to retailers. I was in a store. I was in a beauty brand store, retailer, and I was looking for some products. And one of the associates who worked there was like, mm, I don't think you need anything in here. You should go to this retailer and get this brand because I personally used it and we have a similar skin type. And I think that it's going to help you. And she showed me. So she she basically drove me out of the retailer that she works for and sent me to another retailer to purchase a product that, you know, actually I love now. Right. And so I was wondering about that from a consumer perspective. I said, Hey, thank you for looking out. I appreciate it. But as a marketer, I'm like, there's such opportunity here because this beauty brand retailer that I was in had tons of products and for her to drive me out of store, right? That's a problem. So that means that the brands that are in the store have not done a good job educating the associates on what the benefits are for, you know, skin type like mine or skin type like ours, right? Or even just helping them understand how their brand can help them, how their products can help them. So that goes a long way, goes a very, very long way. I think that there is also an opportunity again to, you know, do some experiential stuff, right? Get out of the mode of, oh, we got to promote this on social. Yeah, that I think now to like social and being on the web is kind of like table stakes. It's the bare minimum. Mm. But it's like, what can mm. you do that's different? What can you do to surprise people? What can you do that is going to get people excited, right? Um, when I worked in the industry, one of the terms that, that I learned and that I love and that I stand by is surprise and delight. How are you going to surprise and delight your customers every day? And if you're thinking about it from that standpoint, what are some things that you can do in retail to surprise and delight your customers? Maybe you're doing for a limited time when they purchase a full-size product, they get a sample size for free of product that you're either um, thinking about getting into the retailer, right? You want to show them that people are actually going to be interested in this. So how can you surprise and delight folks um, when your products are on retail shelves? I know hang tags, right? Um, that used to be a big thing. I'm starting to see them a lot more, especially in grocery um, where they put hang tags on. I actually just bought a curry paste. My husband's West Indian and he was like, the curry you make is not hitting. Like I need some real curry. <laughs> so I said, okay, right. When I went to right. the grocery store. Oh, we'll find it then. I said, I'm gonna, we gonna figure it out. 
Um, So I found a curry paste and on this particular curry paste that I got from the grocery store, they had a hang tag on it that um, gave me a recipe, right? How to actually use it, how to, cause right. And that's great for me because that's not something that I grew up working with learning how to cook, right? There's things I know Mm -hmm. how to cook, but curry paste, I don't know what that does or how to use it. So it gave me a recipe and that's what actually attracted me to purchasing that brand over another because it had that information on it. So there's things that have been done since the beginning of marketing, since the beginning of time that are so simple that I that sometimes I think we often overlook that can be implemented in your business to make sure that it stands out. Mm, I love that. And I know for me, even like the grocery stores, like I love a product that has a hang tag. Yes. I am not a cooker. I'll be honest. I'm not a cooker. Okay. Um, I can cook, but that's not what I prefer to do. Okay? Not your ministry. That's not my ministry. Okay. I can hype you up. I'm a good chef on the sidelines. Like I can hype you up. I can hand you all the stuff. It's going to be clean. That's, mm-hmm. that's my ministry. Okay. But to that point, having a good hang tag, that able to give me a quick recipe where I can get all my ingredients while I'm in the grocery store to get that product, to go home and cook it in X amount of time, mm-hmm. saves me the headache and all of that. So to your point, those simple, but yet effective marketing strategies to keep me in the pipeline and be like, Oh, they had a really good recipe. Let me go back to their site to see what mm-hmm. other recipes I can try with this new curry paste, like you talked about, mm-hmm. or going back into the stores and I'm getting a full size shampoo, but now I may get a GWP of a travel size or a leave-in treatment or hair oil that may not have launched in the stores yet in retail, but it may be coming down the pipeline, but it's mm-hmm. now getting me enticed and that surprise by delight, like you mentioned is now getting me excited to be like, oh, I now want to try this leave-in treatment. Now I want to try the hair oil. It did really well. Let me get the full size. Let me get on their email list to get the pre-order. It's a whole strategy behind it. So to your point, experimental marketing is still effective, but yet a lot of companies are not tapping into it because they think social is the end of be all. And I have to ask you this question, still talking about the digital space, which is metaverse and Mm -hmm. Roblox, right? So- we're starting to see a lot more retailers go into the metaverse. Sephora, we see Estee Lauder, we see Fitzy Beauty with having a partnership with Roboblox. Do you think it's something that's beneficial as an extension of their marketing? Or do you think that it's, it's still it, too much in its infancy stage to see if it's really effective or not? Good question. So for me, I would have to see the return on investment of it, right? Okay. I don't know that the universe within these virtual spaces is large enough yet to really provide an ROI that makes sense. But I do understand why these larger companies are entering first because they want to sort of have that first mover advantage. They want to understand it. They want to, and they have the money to do it, right? They have money to, to, put into these platforms to say, hey, let's test out the metaverse or let's test out, you know, whatever new thing is coming out, right? Um, Is it going to last? I'm not sure. Is it going to be an effective part of their marketing strategy? I'm not sure. It's really going to depend on adoption in the space, right? Customer adoption. It really depends on customer adoption. I'll say that because if your customers are not there, there's no point in you spending money there. So again, I would have to see ROI. I haven't seen anything yet um, come out of it. That makes sense. And -hmm. I can definitely understand why some larger corporations are tapping into it. It kind of reminds me of the Sims game from when we were kids, right? 
-hmm. Like you're in this virtual world, you go to the virtual Sims mall, you get to touch and buy the different virtual products. So I understand, and it's kind of deja vu to see this in real time now, 25 years later. Okay, I'm dating my age. But anyways, it's kind of weird seeing it in this space now, but it's here. But to your point, I personally don't, I think it's still too early for me to really say if it's going to be beneficial or not, because we're still in the infancy stage of it. But mm -hmm. I understand why they're tapping into that market, to tap into the younger audiences, to hopefully be able to get them to convert and become their, you know, be part of their loyal customer base. I don't know. Same. I just had to ask you since we talked about retailers and seeing retailers go into that space, like what your thoughts were, but Same. I'm kind of with you. Yeah. Now, if it's a long-term play, because they're going after the consumers who may not necessarily have um, income right now, but they're growing with them, then I can understand that. But again, those big players have the funds to be able to do that. Um, but if yeah. you're a brand that does not have the funds to be able to do that for a long-term play, that's again, why it's important to know what your end goal is, then it doesn't make mm -hmm. sense to invest in that right now, right? Focus on wherever you are, that's providing you the best ROI. That's where you want to focus. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. And as we wrap up, I'm going to ask you two more questions. So okay. one of the terms that you like to utilize is surprise and delight. So Contrary to that, what is some terminology that you hear that we need to let go from a marketing's perspective? Mm, let okay. me think. I was thinking about this. I'm not really sure that there are terms that we need to let go of. I feel like the last time we spoke, I had a term, but I don't remember it. Maybe I okay. embraced it. What's, what's your term? So for me, to be honest, mine is sustainability. Okay. Um, and sustainability is critical from a packaging standpoint, but you're now starting to see it transfer over into sustainable ingredients, mm -hmm. sustainable products, sustainable manufacturing processes. But when you start asking the questions like, okay, what makes this sustainable? Some people just look at you like a deer in headlights and they can't really articulate what that means. I'm kind of like on the fence where like sustainability is critical. And we, I've talked about this on a prior episode Sustainable packaging here in the U.S., I feel like we need a lot of infrastructure in place to accommodate all the materials that are coming into um, the MRFs, the material recycling centers, to then be back in the circular economy to be produced for clothes, shoes, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but with sustainable ingredients, like what does that mean? Like how is that really beneficial? How do you articulate that for me as a consumer to be interested in it? when I'm washing my face with a cleanser, like the sustainable products or sustainable ingredients, like what I'm, I'm still kind of, that's, that's what I'm like, I'm on the fence with it, but mm -hmm. it depends upon the select messaging, to be honest. So it's interesting. I don't know that we need to get rid of it. I think we need to ensure that we're using it effectively. We're using the term in the way that it's meant to be used. So I was at Cosmoprof um, a few months ago and I actually mm -hmm. attended one of the sessions on um, ingredients and sustainability came mm -hmm. up and there was, com I forget the specific details, but the, the panelists were saying essentially that um, sometimes folks will say their products are sustainable from an ingredient standpoint, but that means different things in different places, different countries, mm -hmm. different products and so it got really detailed which is you know ingredients mm -hmm. it's not really my jam but yeah. I hear you I think that I think it's a misused term I don't know that we need to stop using it I think that well let me take that back 
there's some folks that need to stop using it. And then there yeah. are some <laughs> folks that are using it appropriately that I think need to educate more on it. But then I also come back to, does the consumer even care? Right. And so in some of the um, statistics I was sharing earlier, I think it's only like 29 to 30% of folks who are actively looking for products that are sustainable. And I want to say it was like almost half say that they would purchase a product because it's sustainable. But mm -hmm. to your point, is that because they don't understand what sustainability means, right? So someone like us in the industry, we know sustainability from the standpoint of the details, the specifics, you know, the regulations and the rules, but a customer is like, oh, sustainable, that sounds great. We're helping the earth. Yes, I would buy a product that's sustainable, right? But is it really the end all be all? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. And that's fair. I think it does require a lot more education of how to properly utilize it based upon the customers. Mm -hmm. um, so understanding your target audience or your customers, like you talked about earlier, but then also where you're geographically located, how we recycle things here in Atlanta is totally different and not as advanced as Boston, New York, Oregon, Seattle, recycling corrugated packaging or boxes. It's totally different in Atlanta versus New York you know, mm -hmm. with the recycling centers, how they process things. So to that point, it does require a lot more education and not being, as I say, greenwash, you know, you know, the terminology for when it's beneficial to just hit on that pain point or be part of the trend. Right. But it, we do have a long ways to go in transparency. Mm -hmm. We're not as advanced with some of the terminology like other countries, like in the EU, Australia and stuff like that, but we're getting there, mm -hmm. but it does require a lot more education for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So last question I'm going to ask you as we wrap up for today is what is a misconception in the marketing industry for beauty brands? Major misconception, you need to be everywhere. You need to be doing everything. Mm -hmm. You need to okay. have the influencers. You need to have the advertisements. You need to be on uh, Google and Facebook with your ads. You need to, you know, you need to be in every retailer. That's not true. Right. There are, so I'll bring up an example, Notorium. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the brand, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They just entered an agreement to sell to Elf Cosmetics for, I want to say $355 million. They were founded in 2019 and they are direct to consumer, Amazon. Um, they're at a retailer in the UK and they're at Target in the US. They're mm -hmm. not everywhere. They focus on their online channels for marketing. They focus on their email and SMS, but they're not everywhere and they're not doing everything, right? And so if you think about it from that standpoint, you can grow a brand that is valued at millions and millions of dollars without being everywhere and without doing everything, without having a celebrity influencer, without having influencers at all, right? And I'm not saying Notorium doesn't have influencers, but what I'm saying is, you don't need to do everything and be everywhere. So mm. um, I think it's more about focusing on the areas that are going to be the most impactful for you, that provide you the best ROI. Everything's going to come back to ROI for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the, I'm going to put it on my forehead, ROI. Um, ROI. 
And how does it attach to what the end goal is, right? So I can almost guarantee you that Notorium had in their mind when they launched that they wanted to exit the business. And they were probably like, if we could get into, you know, one or two major retailers and grow 80% year over year compound annual rate, we're going to be able to sell for close to $400 million. And that's what they did, right? But you don't get there unless you're thinking about the end in mind. Um, and being very strategic in how you make those moves and those partnerships to get there. Guys, y'all heard that from Ms. Tara Payne herself, okay? You don't have to do everything to be everywhere. Really hone in on those appropriate channels based upon your ideal client or customer, excuse me, and making sure that you're talking specifically to them. So I love that. And then also incorporating the surprise and delight method that Tara talked about on this segment, get them to see that loyal customer and really craft your omni-channel approach with holistic marketing strategies, with thinking with the end goal in mind. <clears throat> so guys, this was a whole lesson in itself with Ms. Tara Payton. So Tara, thank you so much for sharing these gems. And as we are wrapping up this segment, we are gonna go ahead and get into our power round. So guys, as you know, with our power round, it is a lightning speed round where I'm asking our powerhouse guests about some of their favorites. And we're gonna put 60 seconds on the clock and Ms. Tara's favorites is, I learned about is she's vegan. She really embodies holistic living. And y'all heard that she does everything all relative to marketing, okay? So we're going to go ahead and put 60 seconds on the clock. And Ms. Tara, you ready for your power round? I'm nervous. <laughs> Girl, don't be nervous. You got this. I'm you ready. <laughs> See, you ready. All right. So time on the clock and let's go. So holistic living involves embracing wellness for mind, body, and soul. If you were to create a product, what would the name of it be? And tell us about the product. It would be a tea or a li lines of teas, and it would be called bougie herbal tea. Ooh. Just a tea, because I'm Tara, so tea, you know, not T-E-A, but hey. yeah, bougie herbal tea. Okay, I like it. And okay, so if you're going to create the bougie tea with just the tea, not T-E-A, how would you package your tea line? I'm going to come to you. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. I, <laughs> I, that's my answer. I Packaging was not my jam when I was in the industry. So I would go to an expert and ask you how to package it. So there okay. you go. Fair enough. I'll get you mm -hmm. together. Yes. And then last question is, why is packaging critical for brands? It's important. It's the first, it's sort of like, um, what's the phrase? don't judge a book by its cover, but your book is being judged by the cover. So your packaging is your cover. And especially if you're in the beauty personal personal care space, that space is all about visuals, aesthetics, right? So it's important to have packaging that is aesthetically pleasing, that is going to make sense on shelf, that makes sense, um, you know, uh, when you transport it, when you're shipping it. So you got to think about all those things when you're thinking about your packaging. It's your, it's your representation of your brand when you're not there, right? And so you want it to represent you well. Yes, boom. And that is our power <laughs> round. See? You, so you did good. So guys, here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse, you had the privilege of hearing Ms. Tara Payton, who is our marketing executive. And Tara, let people know how they can get in contact with you to learn more about your fractional marketing services and advisory services. Absolutely. So you can find me at tarapayton.com. That's my first name, last name.com. Um, or you can also search me on LinkedIn, Tara Payton on LinkedIn. That's where I hang out the most. And if you have any questions, you can DM me on LinkedIn or you can reach out directly through the contact form 
on the website and we'll get back to you, schedule a consultation and we'll kick this thing off. Hey, nice. Links will be down in the show notes for you all. So you can make sure to slide through Tara's DMs respectfully on LinkedIn to learn more about her marketing company. And so guys, thank you so much for tuning in today's podcast here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse Show. Make sure you do subscribe to our channel. Give us a five-star rating. We definitely appreciate it. And make sure you do hit up Ms. Tara Payton so she can be the surprise and delight for your marketing strategies. So we'll see you on the next one. Come on with the closeout line. Thank you.